Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Wednesday, December 26th, and we've got the whole gang in the studio. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Shannon Jones, Jason Moser, and Nick Seipel. Guys, what a treat. <laughs> this is an awesome opportunity to actually be in the same studio with all of you guys at once. I am privileged and honored to be in here with you guys. <laughs> That's hey, going to be tough to top. Listen, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't even on your team, so I'm just thrilled to be here. It's it's so awesome to get everyone together because I think people pick this up as we do our shows, but we're taping with people that are remote so often. You know, they're they're doing the Skype interaction, mm. and you don't get the benefit of the nonverbal ticks that people have to signal. Okay, I'm going to talk now. There's a pause. You kind of wait, and then you both start talking at the same time. Like, oh, no, you, you, oh no, no, wait, go ahead. Um, we are all in the room today because we wanted to do a little year in review, a little look forward, and thought it'd be kind of fun. We did this last year. We're going to do a slightly different format, not going to do the award show format that we did last time, uh, but just basically have a couple different categories to talk about the year that was with 2018 uh, and some stuff to look forward to for 2019 for our sectors and the stock market in general. To kick things off, though, before we get into the categories I've prepared, I'm going to throw a little trivia question at you guys. I ran a screen on the S&P 500 constituents. Any guesses on the biggest gainer and loser in the index to date? Mm. So, I think actually I may have a somewhat of an educated guess. I th- I think TripAdvisor is part of the maybe it's part of the S&P. I know TripAdvisor's performed very well this year as has Twitter. So, those are my two guesses. TripAdvisor was the second biggest gainer. Ah. So, so you were right there, though. It, it was just beat out by another tech company, actually. Twilio? Well, maybe not. No, Twilio has crushed it, but they, yeah. I don't think they're don't in think the S&P 500. Uh, biggest gainer, AMD, semiconductor wow. company. Yeah. Battleground stock and semiconductor, semiconductor. company. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Well, see, that's a great lesson in the power of patience there, because I think I've personally owned TripAdvisor for probably... A little bit more than three years, and of course, you know, I established the position, and it quickly just fell through the floor. Um, and I mean, they they were making a little bit of a change to the business model. It didn't work out so well, but the past few years, I mean, TripAdvisor has been just dead money. It's just been an awful investment. But to see them kind of get past that and start bringing the business back around, I mean, it was clear they they have something there with that just big slew of of information and pictures and travel recommendations and whatnot. So it just was. I held on to my position, thankfully, so we're about back to where we started. Um, but yeah, I guess that shows you the power in being patient sometimes. That's a business. That and Expedia, I wish I understood those businesses <laughs> because I use Google Flights or I use the credit card portal so I can use rewards points anytime I'm booking anything. Right. And so just as a consumer, I've never gone through and used any of those online travel agencies or booking companies, and I just can't see the use case. Not well, even the reviews? Like, you don't even go and, like, hey, I'm going to Spain, let me pull up the top destination. Like, you don't even look at the reviews? Because if I'm staying somewhere, I'm using Airbnb. You're just freewheeling it. <laughs> I mean, that, like, you're, you, it's a good point, though, because you look at a business like Expedia or Booking.com, and they are, that's an OTA, right? An online travel agency. TripAdvisor tried to do that. That was essentially the pivot they made that didn't work. And so I think they fell back on really their bread and butter is all about information. And so, I mean, I, I do use it whenever I travel. And I mean, a good example, we took the girls to the Bahamas this year for spring break. And, and I used TripAdvisor religiously to figure out where to go and what to do. And it really worked out well. And because it worked so well, I felt then compelled to offer reviews so that people, you know, going forward might benefit from that knowledge. But 
Yeah, I mean, it just it depends on if that's a habit of yours or not in looking up that information. And I guess I've just always found value in it, but understand the value also in just going and throwing caution to the wind too. Yeah, as as an investor, I just haven't been able to know that the signal is there that yeah. the business is doing well because I can't participate in it. Um, switching over to biggest loser, any guesses there? Gotta be GE, right? I mean, GE has been be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> down about 62% year to date. And we are taping this in mid December, so this is subject to change. Um, I think that's that's really one of the big stories for 2018 is you have all these legacy companies, these household names, Sears, GE, really struggling. Yeah, I mean, you've got, I mean, GE's just this company that's been around since the beginning of the Dow, you know, been around for hundreds of years, got kicked out of the Dow this year as, you know, these industrial companies have really been struggling. Are we going to continue to see these conglomerates stay in their current form? Are we going to see kind of an unpackaging of these? It's going to be something to follow for the next year or so. Yeah. Uh, one of the other stories that, that I think was just overwhelming this year uh, was the beating that the Chinese tech stocks took. I don't know how yeah. closely you guys follow that space. Uh, in, in the US, we have our FANG stocks, and in China, we have the BAT stocks. Uh, it's Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. Alibaba down 10%, Baidu and Tencent both down over 20% year-to-date. And a lot of different concerns hitting these companies. You have the tariffs going on, potential trade wars, some economic slowing in China, and then some regulatory stuff there, too. Uh, but you look at a year where almost all the FANG stocks have performed pretty well, except for Facebook, those stocks have not done as well as their American counterparts. Yeah, even on the Chinese biotech end, they got slammed pretty hard, too. And too, all to your point, you got the tariffs. A lot of the products that we actually take, the active ingredient is coming from China. So, there's been a lot of uncertainty with that. Also, you mentioned the regulations. Um, as China, China is actually trying to become a big biopharma hub. Um, a big key to that is actually having regulations in place so that we actually trust the data that comes out of these trials. And so they've been working on that quite a bit. But you still have an emerging market that's coming out in China on the healthcare front. But when you start to see the markets go south, usually it's China's biotech that will get hit the hardest. Nick, what was your story for 2018? Oh yeah, my story for 2018 has to be Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia really touched all kinds of different stories. So we have politically, we have the Khashoggi killing that's been kind of just rattling, uh, you know, uh, poli- you know, global politics over the past few months. Uh, then we have recently the oil production cut with Russia, um, where they they chose uh, OPEC plus. So this the OPEC members plus Russia uh, decided to cut 1.2 million barrels per day through the beginning of 2019. You have Mohammed uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the, pr- the crown prince. Uh, of Saudi Arabia high-fiving Putin at the G20 meeting. So, you have developments there. And then, of course, uh, SoftBank has been a big story this year with their Vision Fund. About half of the Vision Fund is Saudi Arabian money, $45 billion. Um, talk, some deals that happened with that this year, uh, a 20% stake in Cruise for $2.25 billion. Um, SoftBank has a $2.5 billion stake in Flipkart, which is acquired this year by Walmart for $16 billion. They're the largest shareholder in Uber with $9.3 billion. And all that's made possible by Saudi Arabian money. And then, of course, Probably the biggest story of the year, notoriously, their funding was not secured to take Tesla private <laughs> at $420. So, really, just all kinds of stories from politics to economics, uh, you know, to just pop culture with what's going on with Tesla and just uh, investing in general. They've really touched, you know, the entire world this year. I don't think I'd quite realized how many different uh, fingers in the pie they had in, in the economic and financial markets until you just listed them out right there. 
Yeah, and that, that's not even to mention that you know uh, SoftBank has a uh, the Vision Fund has a five billion dollar stake in Nvidia. They have a large stake in Paytm, which Berkshire invested in this year. Um, they have twenty percent of WeWork, or are looking at maybe purchasing a majority of that. So. A lot of these big tech trends that we've been talking about, particularly in the private markets over the past year, have been in large part funded by Saudi Arabian cash. JMO, what about you? What are you looking at in 2018? Uh, well, I mean, it seems like it was the year of the headline, right? I mean, it's been just a volatile market every all, all year long, and it, it, it seems to just all flow around what the headline of the day is or the headline of the month. And I mean, just recently, I mean, it seems like every headline has been about either trade, tariffs, uh, the dreaded inversion of the yield curve. Uh, we've been, you know, battling interest rates all year, and how that's going to play out on the housing market. And we've seen, um, you know, a company like Ellie Mae, a company I, I cover closely and, and actually own some shares. We've seen that stock essentially get cut in about half because the interest rate uh, environment is tightening up and making those refinances kind of go away. So now you've got to rely solely on purchases, and you know, people aren't just going out buying houses every day, right? It's it's a bit of a Bit of a longer process than that, so it just it seems like we have watched the market react often in in a knee jerk sort of fashion, uh, just to the headline of the day, and and it just it really runs counter to what we do, right? I mean, we we have to always battle to to get our listeners, our members, to not pay attention to that noise. A lot of these businesses are the same businesses, whether the headline's good or bad. Um, but yeah, we seem like this has been a bit more of a headline-driven year than mo- than most. Yeah, uh, on Fool.com, we always like to try to have one keep calm piece. That's what we call it, ready to go. You know, so if we have a sell-off in the market and it's unexpected, we have some content that we can give to members and to people that might just come to the site and check it out to say, hey, you know, we are used to these kinds of sell-offs. This is our mentality when we see these kinds of sell-offs. They're opportunities. Uh, and I feel like we have had to prepare a couple more of those pieces this year <laughs> than maybe we have in past years. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, speaking of volatility and just headline news, we could not go on a show to talk about 2018 if we don't talk about marijuana mania. Right? Sure. Um, 2018 was the year of marijuana. Pot stocks soared, especially in the first nine months of this year. Really coming off of first, you know, Canadian legalization for adult use recreational marijuana. Also, too, on the medical marijuana front, 2018 saw the first FDA-approved CBD product from GW Pharmaceuticals. So, you had a number of different things that were really driving momentum this year. Um, We also can't talk about marijuana if we don't talk about Tilray stock, right? (laughs) I don't know how many emails, uh, how many things I saw on social media about Tilray stock. This was a stock, so it debuted in the markets in July. It's up about, I checked this morning, about 245% right now. Uh, Debuted at $17. At one point, this stock actually went over $300 a share. I think this is right in that September to October timeframe. And that was really due, it had such a low float. And then also, too, it was an epic uh, short squeeze that happened. So right now, we're sitting at about $78 a share, a $7 billion market cap. But I think if there was one stock that just really kind of captured that big headline focus this year, Tilray is that stock, Jason. I couldn't agree with you more. That one just defies all logic. Based on, I mean, they they don't even make I think ten million in revenue, right? It's not even. And I mean, to see the multiples that, that these companies were were generating, and there, there was also Canopy and what's Aurora. the other one? Aurora, Afria, and you have you have some deals being made now, like Altria, obviously getting in, getting into the mix there, and Constellation, and and I. I feel like maybe that's the direction this market ultimately goes. Is you have these big players 
that are figuring out ways that marijuana plays into their business model or something new that they could offer, and then they pick out the what they believe to be the winners in the space, you really have to be careful going in there and trying to pick the pure play winners because I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is just a commodity, right? I mean, it's just a plant, and, and it's nothing that really separates that. So, uh, yeah, I think probably paying a little bit more attention to the big players that are figuring out ways to do neat things with that uh, substance is probably the wiser course of action. As someone that covers healthcare, Shannon, has the rise of marijuana and all of the sudden maybe retail investor interest in marijuana been energizing or anxiety-inducing for you? <laughs> um, I, I guess I could say both. Um, I think um, in terms of just excitement, I think especially in the medical space. So I mentioned GW Pharmaceuticals with their CBD product, Epidiolex. So I think this will usher in for what really has been anecdotal evidence that uh, CBD, which is not the psychoactive ingredient that's found in marijuana, that's THC, but this ingredient could actually make huge strides, make a huge difference in the lives of patients. We saw this with GW Pharmaceuticals, and we saw this in children that suffered from seizures. Um, and these were kids that were having like 40, 50 seizures a day, see a dramatic improvement. So stuff like that makes me excited because I feel like you're really starting to see, even uh, in the healthcare space this year, it was CBD and fish oil were two of the biggest headlines. And it was like, we pour billions of dollars into these chemical products, and it's these natural products that are really starting to actually show and demonstrate and can run through a clinical trial and prove to be efficacious. But when it's all the other noise, as Jason was mentioning, that's the part where I'm just like, oh gosh, not another marijuana stock. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. And once something transcends stock market focus and really enters the retail world, and you have people at parties asking you, oh, what do you think about Bitcoin? Or, oh, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you think about MoviePass? Or, you know, whatever. Uh, that's when, you know, as someone who really wants to make sure that people are doing right by themselves, I start to get a little worried because I'm like, oh boy, the enthusiasm. Is well beyond people's knowledge bases, and that's a dangerous spot to be for the average investor. Absolutely, lots of hype, and yeah, when my mom is asking me about medical marijuana, I think that's a sign that we are truly in the midst of a huge hype cycle. I'm hoping to see in 2019 that that starts to calm down. I think marijuana probably could have been a rookie of the year candidate. <laughs> uh, I debated that, Dylan. I debated. I went back and forth on that. Did something else make the cut? So for yes, for rookie of the year, I actually went with, and this was tough for me because I went back and forth, but I went with what was recently the biggest initial public offering in history, and that was a company called Moderna Therapeutics that recently debuted on the market. So, it priced its offering at $23 a share, did end up down about 19% uh, on the day that it actually debuted, but I think investor enthusiasm to invest in innovative approaches, innovative platforms. Um, I'm kind of shocked that that Moderna did this uh, at this point, but given the hype that's in the market, it's no surprise. But I think just in terms of the amount of money they were able to raise, they raised six hundred and four million dollars. Um, I think the second one was maybe two hundred and fifty three million, so completely blew that out of the water. But they've got a really innovative drug discovery platform, not just going after one drug, but actually a platform that can develop multiple drugs using a type of RNA, which basically allows us to develop therapies that are more personalized and potentially more effective too. 
I will say, uh, I'm amazed that you had something so quickly because I was looking through the 2018 IPO list, <laughs> and it has been a rough year Not to go the most public. Compelling uh, <laughs> list of ideas, and a lot of big names. You know, you have mm-hmm. Spotify, Dropbox, ADT, Hudson. A lot, a lot of companies that are consumer facing in what they do. Yep. Uh, a lot of them trading well below where the average investor was able to get I, in. Aichi went public this year too, right? The Chinese video streaming. That Giant. that is my rookie of the year. Oh man! Wow. <laughs> Thank you for the tee up, Jason. So for the sole I meant reason, to do that. I mean, the the reality is of the tech focused IPOs, there really aren't too many winners to choose from at this yeah. point. You know, most of them have really struggled, um, and and at that, I mean, they are fifty percent off of highs hit shortly after the company went public because. There was so much pent up demand for the quote unquote Netflix of China. Uh, so, so even with them being above where they first hit the market, there are still a lot of people that are down on their cost basis. Uh, you know, I think the necessary disclosure with any IPO to conversation is that as you're looking at these types of companies, that's a case in point for why you buy in small bites. You sure. don't go all in at once. Yep, no question. Totally agree. And like Moderna, for instance, I think it's valued right now at seven billion dollars. They have no approved product on the market, and so I think you know IPO. It's certainly great to keep up with them, but you know you've got a lockup expiration period coming up at some point too. So you're going to expect to see the stock continue to drop. Um, I, I would even say for IPOs in general, and especially in the healthcare and in the biotech space, when we have a really strong uh, IPO class in a particular year, and you've got tons of money flooding into these IPOs, it kind of scares me. Because really what happens is you have all of this investor money being flooded into ideas that really aren't that great. (laughs) And so the following year, we end up having a terrible biotech year. The stocks are all down because you have these basically data readouts that are no good. And so I always get a little nervous when I see a really strong IPO year just because there's so much money being thrown at things that otherwise would not get funded. Yeah, and let's tie that back into what what I mentioned about SoftBank earlier. I mean, the private markets we've seen huge bid ups, you know, in in funding, particularly from SoftBank. If you hear about SoftBank telling folks, you know, you either take our massive amount of money or we're going to give it to your competitor. So <laughs> even even the stuff that hasn't made made it to the private market has really been bid up in a significant way. Um, yeah. I think we might start to see a lot of those unicorns going public in 2019. If if there's a thing to look forward to in 2019, that might be one of them. I mean, we have the news from Lyft and Uber, both confidentially filing with the SEC. So at some point in 2019, we're going to start to get the details on what those businesses look like. There have been some rumors that a lot of the other unicorns, the Airbnbs, the Slacks of the world, might also be interested in going public. That's always fun to do from a, you know, Episode programming standpoint, sure. <laughs> uh, but it does require some patience, I think, as an investor. Yeah, Slack is one of those ones I was reading. They're, I think, at least trying to warrant a ten billion dollar valuation, and it, and I think about that, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm not sure that it really deserves that. But then I think, you know what? That's also a first screen app on my phone that I use like every day. All the, I mean, it's it's it's. It's a very engaging app. I kind of feel like you know LinkedIn really missed out on something there. That's I think that's what LinkedIn was really trying to do, and for whatever reason they they didn't. I was a little bit surprised that maybe LinkedIn didn't try to buy them. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it's going to be interesting to see because you've got this sort of disconnect between how much you use something and how popular it is versus how much money do they make and how profitable can they really be? Because these are all really companies that are losing money. In, in their current forms, yeah, and at least with Slack, they have the enterprise software mm-hmm. as a service 
paying customers nice recurring revenue model that, that's working for them. That looks a lot prettier than, frankly, you know, a company like Snap <laughs> that, that, that goes public uh, essentially pre-revenue and banks on advertisers coming in. So, so there's something there, but uh, you know, we won't know whether that's a good-looking investment until we get a chance to look at that prospectus that's right. and really dig into it. Uh, one of the other categories that we wanted to hit on this taping was our Coach of the Year. And so this is uh, some leadership or some individuals that have really kind of changed the face of things in an industry or with their company. Who do you guys got? Yeah, well, can I can I do my rookie of the year before? Oh, before we kinda, oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry, Nick. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Before we move on, um, yeah. So I, I kind of you know you mentioned that you know IPOs. There was really not a lot of a lot of ones to get really excited about this year, particularly in the energy space. But so I went a little bit away from the IPO uh, to uh, Waymo One, right? So. There's probably only one story this year that is probably going to be in the history books forever, and that's going to be probably Waymo's first ever autonomous ride-hailing service reaching the market uh, earlier this month. Um, you know, we've talked about it, I think, on your show as well as mentioned on on the uh, Energy Industrial Show. You know, it's now opened up uh, to to the members of their early rider program. They're now paying money to to go on these rides, and it's open to their additional guests. So I think, you know, it's not necessarily an IPO, but it's something we've been really waiting for for a long time that is really a turning point in how, how we're going to be moving around over the long term. They still have safety drivers in the car. This is still something that they're working on, um, but really something we've been waiting on for years. And that's the kind of thing that is truly a disruptive technology, both because it's going to change how we get around, and it's going to blow up the business models of some of the companies that are currently working in mobility, transportation, and ride-hailing. Sure. I mean, we've got Uber and Lyft racing to get uh, to get their IPO papers filed first, who can get to the market first and kind of cash in on that demand. But even with that going on, they've still been beaten to autonomous drive uh, ride sharing, uh, you know, by Waymo and the opportunities that they have. And of course, they're backed by Google, which has one of the most dominant monopolies in the world that can really be irrational in this space for much longer than you know anyone else. That's a pure play. So, well, it'll be interesting to see you know how quickly those folks can kind of catch up on the autonomous side, and then how quickly too Waymo can scale up beyond you know the Phoenix area that it's in right now. With Nick's permission, can we go on to Coach of the Year? Is that, is that allowed? Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry for forgetting you before. Some hazing on the rookie. <laughs> on the, the grizzled vet. Uh, Nick, why don't you lead us off then with Coach of the Year? Yeah, so um, Coach of the Year, I'm going to give uh, Terry Spencer from One Oak. Um, One Oak, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they're a pipeline company. Um, back in February 2017, uh, they acquired all the outstanding units of their MLP, which is One Oak Partners. The goal of that was to get rid of the incentive distributions that the general partnership had um, in that MLP to kind of give them more access to cheaper financing for growth. Um, the reason that Terry Spencer really gets some credit f- for this is that you know a lot of companies have struggled. This has been a trend uh, to purchase up these MLPs. Um, a lot of companies have struggled to kind of do that transaction and maintain uh, their business momentum. And most notably, Kinder Morgan had to significantly cut uh, their dividend after going through a similar transaction. What One Oak said. Um, they were going to try to do is not cut their dividend and uh, to continue growing that over time. And that's really what, they, what they've followed through on being able to do. Uh, this in most recent quarter, their cash flow is up 25%. Um, their dividend coverage ratio is 1.4. Um, they've really been expanding their pipeline capacity. Uh, so, in West Texas and the Permian, they just finished um, their West Texas LPG pipeline, and they're already expanding it again. The same thing with their pipelines in Oklahoma's uh, stack shale play. So, they really have executed on that uh, acquisition and have been able to continue growing their cash flow. Um, again, part of that, part of purchasing that MLP was to make it a little bit easier to do capital market financing. You don't have 
different and different shareholders being treated differently. So through this past year, they've raised you know 1.6 billion dollars in equity to fund these continued um, expansions of their pipelines. They're on track to grow their dividend nine to eleven percent through 2021, um, and it's already yielding 5.7 percent. So it, it's really a company that has done what it needs to do uh, when it comes to transforming the structure of their business and has followed through on all the promises that they've made, which is why Terry Spencer is the coach of the year. Shannon, who you got? All right, I've got Mr. Jeff Lydon. He is the CEO of Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Um, so let me just kind of lay the the groundwork here. Um, biotechs have had a rough year. It's been quite a roller coaster, especially in October. Um, but Vertex Pharmaceuticals right now is the only growth story of the large cap biotechs. <laughs> um, they're up about twenty four percent this year. Stock prices actually doubled in the past two years. And the story really comes down to Jeff Lydon's management experience and his drive and persistence to treat a disease called cystic fibrosis. So, if you're not familiar, cystic fibrosis, it's a uh, uh, an inherited and really life-threatening disease that basically impacts your lungs, impacts your GI system. Um, oftentimes, it's young people. And the reason for that is the average life expectancy for cystic fibrosis, I think, only 37 years. Um, and it's a relatively small market, maybe 200,000 patients in the US. And so there really have not been, there's not been a lot of money that's been funneled into cystic fibrosis for that reason. But I think under Jeff Lydon's leadership, I think he came in maybe 2010, 2012, um, his drive has been all in for CF. That's his motto. I'm all in. So right now they've actually got three drugs on the market for cystic fibrosis, um, and those three drugs they are the only disease modifying therapies on the market to date for this disease. It treats about 50 patients. You would think it stops there, but it doesn't because Jeff said I don't want to just treat half of these patients with cystic fibrosis. I want to treat all of them. So next year, 2019, it sounds like this company could actually see an approval for it's basically a cocktail combination of three drugs that they found works for the hardest to treat mutations of cystic fibrosis. That's going to drive that 50% up, up to 90% of all patients wow. can be treated by this one company, which is phenomenal. So a true turnaround story. I would say, too, uh, in 2018, just looking at from a financial perspective, Vertex is actually expected to grow its top line by more than 37% to about $3 billion. They're profitable, which is, of course, rare for biotech and biopharma. Uh, but those profits could grow in excess of 57% on an annualized basis over the next five years. Um, and like many growth stocks, of course, Vertex is a bit expensive right now. I think it's trading at about 43 times next year's earnings. But with a deep pop pipeline, they're profitable and committed to patients, not necessarily just going after the next big thing. I say Jeff Lydon has my vote as Coach of the Year. See, this is why I love getting in the studio with you guys, because I get the stories that I, my head is in the sand and I'm covering tech all the time. I don't get the exposure to the healthcare and energy news. Jason, do you have something in the financial space to sure. just absolutely rock my world? <laughs> the exciting and sexy nature of financial and insurance, right? Um, actually, I am going with an insurance uh, executive. I think everybody in the room probably knows Progressive Insurance. Um, and I'm going with Progressive's CEO, Tricia Griffith. Uh, she's been CEO of the company since July of 2016, but she's been with the company since 1988 when she stepped in there as a claims representative. And you know what, man? Before I came here, I was a claims representative at Traveler. So if I stuck there, 
maybe one day I could have worked up to the CEO <laughs> position. Who knows? I mean, uh, but what she's done with this company, I think, is really nothing short of phenomenal. It, the stock is up about 100% since she took over as CEO for the year in a market where a lot of financials have really kind of just been treading water. Uh, progressive stock is up 15%. Uh, they just continue to be on point as far as brand management, right? I mean, there, I think there's a tremendous amount of brand equity out there. People are familiar with Progressive. They know Flow, the they commercials. Love flow. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> do really do. Flow? I don't and know. They, that I love they flow. They just stick. They stick with what works, right? And if you don't love her, I mean, at least you know her, right? I know. Her. Um, but I mean, it's it's you know they have been known mostly for automobile insurance, but they have homeowners insurance um, and other lines of business that are continuing to grow there. Their pool of clients there. It's a $35, $36 billion market cap company today, which means there's still plenty of room to grow. When you consider the nature of insurance, it is one of those things that you may not like it, but you have to have it. And and I think that she just continues to do a very good job of doing what works. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science, it's insurance. And and the bigger pool of uh folks you have in that insurance pool, uh you know, the better off you're going to be able to be with the business over the long haul. You're always focusing on that combined ratio, making sure that it stays below 100%, so that you know you're writing good business and uh, paying out the claims that you owe. Uh, just, just an impressive business from a lot of different angles there, and, and I was really happy to be able to tap her as the coach of the year. I will round out this discussion with a name that I think, no matter what episode of Industry Focus you listen to, you probably know, uh, and that's Satya Nadella from, oh, yeah. from Microsoft. That's uh, a good call. You know, not that they have put up a particularly blistering 2018. This is something that has been in the works for several years. Uh, someone who has made, I think, some tough choices with this business to get them on track, uh, build up a really steady subscription revenue model with their software. Stock is already huge and up 24% this year. Uh, now battling Apple for the largest market cap. You look at all of that, and and I don't think that that's where a lot of people thought Microsoft would be five six years ago. Well, they were. We were all conditioned under the Balmer years, which was really a tough stretch because he was CEO, I think, for a decade, and the stock was was literally flat, like it went nowhere. And and you wonder what in the world. I mean, this is like this is this is the software on like everybody's workstation in the entire country in the entire world. How are they not growing this business? And it was just. Bomber didn't have the same forward thinking uh, that that Dell has. Yeah, and and I think it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, they have good exposure in the cloud market. Uh, Nick Seipel has been pounding the table on Microsoft <laughs> in the editorial pod recently. Yeah, I mean, well, well, they just are touching all kinds of major growth trends. So, like we talked about with Google with Waymo, they have this core, you know, SaaS, you know, enterprise software business that's really going to keep churning out cash flow for them over long periods of time, and they've really been able to grow that. In a meaningful way, you mentioned you mentioned cloud, Azure, the number two player behind Amazon, and of course they have some natural customers there of folks who are just Amazon competitors um, that are, would probably prefer to do business with them. And then, not to mention, you know, uh, they're one of the largest video game manufacturers and players there, and there are some synergies there between what they're doing in cloud and what they're doing in gaming. You know, kind of connecting those things to the cloud and kind of building them out. So, I think you know all their businesses are, are really in a position to grow over the long term, and they are complementary to one another, that which really makes the synergies you know pretty meaningful. Yeah, you look at the chart for them up and to the right over the last five years. Uh, I don't think that trend is going to change anytime soon. You know, they, they've got all these businesses that are just chugging along and doing what they need to do. And yeah, for a business that is that old, I think that's all you really want. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, position yourself well in the growth markets and make sure that you're not going to mess up your bread and butter. Take a lot of cash. Take a yeah. lot of cash. Um, I, all right, I think that rounds out our first episode of our multi-episode taping for this holiday week. Uh, so I'm going to drop our disclosure now, and we'll pick things up with some 
more recaps, some maybe forgotten stories from 2018 in our next episode. So, listeners, stay tuned for that. But uh, that will do it for this individual episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, if you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch all the videos, not this one, but all the other videos (laughs) on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For all the hosts, I am Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Thank you.